Hello, hola, ni hao, salut, namaste everyone, wherever in the world you're listening to this, and welcome to 100 Samgate, a negotiation podcast. If you think negotiations are like zero-sum game from economics, where one party gains while the other gives something away, you're wrong. In this podcast, we explore what 100-sum game looks like by interviewing master negotiators from a new industry each episode, therefore inspiring you to get the best outcome for yourself while creating value for your counterpart. We'll see what it takes to get a 100% win-win outcome through negotiating in each industry. My name is Adele. I'm a recent economics and psychology grad with experience in finance and marketing, and I'm fascinated by the power of negotiation to change your life and career. So, are you ready to join me in the arena to figure out the ingenious tactics of the game? Leave your shoes and missed opportunities at the door, and let's get started. Welcome to a yet another episode from 100 Some Game. Today, I have the people operations and talent strategist Char Stark with me. Uh, Shar and I met through a social club that we're both a part of, uh, Monday Girl, a hub for ambitious businesswomen. I'm so glad to be a part of this community and to have met Shar and other many amazing women. Shar is more focused on the consulting side of HR, and today we'll be discussing Shar's tricks in negotiating successfully in her field, how she handles high-stakes HR-related negotiations, and more. Thank you for joining, Shar. I'm so glad to have you here. Yeah, I'm super, super honored and really excited to be here just chatting with you. Awesome. So why don't we start with getting to know more about you and what you do? Yeah, totally. I can give you a little intro of who I am here. <laughs> so I got started working in specifically in recruitment and talent attraction about six and a half years ago now. And I started actually in the consulting industry at the time, specifically working within tech in Vancouver, which was really cool. And so started there, really kind of did a lot of contracts doing people and culture work alongside recruiting for a couple of years and then was going to school at the same time as that. So I got my master's in organization psychology. So that was super cool and fun to go through at a little school in Vancouver called Adler. And then I graduated and decided to move to Victoria. And then I started working at a small company called Pixel Union that's also in the tech space and partners with Shopify before going to Certain, which is one of the fastest growing companies in Canada and helped them build all of their talent attraction programs up. And then I went on over to Beacon HR, which is where I've been at for the last year now. Uh, and there I support with everything from people operations, talent attraction, and kind of supporting small businesses with everything they need. So lots of working with tons of different companies and lots of different people. What a story all the way in West Coast. So I want to dig more into what do negotiation interactions look like in your field? And what does going above and beyond look like? Yeah, totally. I think it really depends on the area of HR that I'm working within. So usually it'll be like very strategic negotiation and partnership of how you're going to be working with the leadership team. I would say that's where it most often comes into play around working with folks and figuring out what type of programs you're going to have in place for employees, how you're going to support them, the approach you're even going to be taking, if it's going to be people focused or performance first. There's a lot of different things that go into that. So that's mainly the biggest area. Then there's also, I think, what people typically think of around recruitment and working with hiring managers, and then, of course, negotiating salaries with candidates and employees when changes come up. Going above and beyond usually looks like coming loaded with facts ahead of the time. So before going into that first negotiation, being ready to discuss like 
hey, here's what we've been hearing from the team. Here is some hard numbers <laughs> on how this can improve X. And I would say my biggest thing is building a relationship first before going into a negotiation. You'll probably hear me say that a bunch of times in here, but I think that is really the biggest thing that I've found works is having a relationship before going into a negotiation. That's so big because you don't want to damper those positive emotions that may be at play and that may serve you and the other party well in a negotiation setting. Mm -hmm. So how do you go about doing that? Like, how do you play this game, if you will? Yeah, well, I think the beginning is like whenever I join an organization or whenever I'm supporting them as a consultant, first thing I do is like I'm not coming in and suggesting anything right from the get go. I will build my expertise up with them and being like, hey, this is what I've done before. But really, it's about listening. What do they want? Uh, and what are their needs? That's kind of the biggest thing of asking questions around like, hi, I, I really understand that you want to solve this. Like, why is that important to you? And really getting a solid understanding for that why is how I move through it. And then building that relationship and using that to your, your advantage and to their advantage, really, I think that's the biggest thing is making sure you're playing towards what you want, but also what the client group wants. Yeah, applying this dynamic silence, like not talking, but let the other party talk and then you gather more information that may be helpful to you. Yeah, exactly. It's really that active listening piece. Obviously, negotiation is a big part of communication <laughs> um, and vice versa. So yeah, I would say it's really about figuring out what the other person wants and how that can align. Even if it doesn't seem like a natural alignment, how can you pull that in and say, well, you know, here's why if we do this, which is what I'm trying to propose, it's going to lead to this outcome for them and really just making them see that pathway. Right. How about situations where the other party is angry or if they're in a bad mood or if they think that you're being unfair or if they <laughs> were unsatisfied with some piece of the service that your company has provided? How would you go about in a situation like that, like just turning the direction of the negotiation building those positive emotions. How do you do that? Yeah, yeah. I would say what I typically do is, once again, going back to that listening piece is really listening empathetically to what they're upset with. I think oftentimes when I've seen it not work well is when we kind of continue to move to our resolution and then either the other party's not going to be happy when we get to the other side and it does end up going the way I want it to go or we get to the other side and they're like, I don't want to work with you or this has been problematic, which is, is not where we want to get to. So I think it's really taking a step back in those moments and listening empathetically and then responding in a way that's going to really hear what they're looking for. When people come and I'm working with them, especially if it's an unfortunate employee relations claim that's going on, people are really upset. And I think the biggest thing is like just listening to them. That's what people want. And they want you to action something that's going to be meaningful on their side. So figuring out what that is and how that can match with what your goals are as well. Mm -hmm. And I would assume that coming to a resolution without compromising value from neither party is tricky, right? How do you not compromise the value that that party is getting and the value that your company or you're getting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you need to come to every negotiation ready to understand what you are willing to compromise. I almost think it's important to identify what are the things like I'm coming into this and if there's nothing you can compromise, try and come up with something almost before you go into it that you are going to be willing to let go of because it's like a give and take in any relationship. So if you're able to compromise, then they're going to be willing to say, okay, 
she's giving up this, so I'm going to give up this. It's very much a back and forth. That's what I always have found is effective. And so coming ready with something on the table that you're going to be like, strategically, I'm okay getting rid of this thing. So I'm going to be prepared to offer that up if I do need to. When you decide what to compromise, what kind of factors do you take into account? Mm-hmm. When I'm going into a negotiation, I think of the things, okay, here's where my, my main goals are. Here are the things that are must-haves for me coming out of this. That's like, it wouldn't make sense to move forward unless I have these. That's kind of like the nuts and bolts of it. And then on the other side, there's maybe the things that are a little bit extra. This would be great, but it's not necessarily a must-have. For example, when like I'm negotiating salaries for folks, usually what I'll do is I will ask a hiring manager or a hiring team for a higher salary because I know that they'll meet me closer in the middle. And that's usually kind of something that I try and do so that I can advocate for candidates and for internal team members so that they can ensure that we get where they want to go because I'm adding that little buffer room in there because we know in negotiation, people don't usually accept your first offer. (laughs) So always advocating for like that kind of cherry on top, but being willing to negotiate to not have the cherry, but having the rest of the Sunday or whatever that metaphor would be. (laughs) That's interesting. That's a little bit of myth busting there because I know a lot of candidates, even professionals think that when they're negotiating their salary, their counterpart, the HR person is always lowballing. Mm -hmm. They're always (laughs) putting out a number that is way below the budget, right? And then their KPI would be like, okay, so I've secured this candidate below budget. But that's interesting how you say that. No, you're actually advocating Mm -hmm. for the candidates. You're actually trying to negotiate on the other side with the hiring manager to get a higher number so that you create value for the candidate, but you're also Mm -hmm. creating value for the company at the same time because the candidate is going to be more motivated and they will think that they're being valued as an employee. Hence, they will produce more quality work and be more enthusiastic about working there a value for the company. Yeah, exactly. I think that's often a common misconception. Sometimes I know I'll ask people on a daily basis, hey, what kind of salary are you looking for? And I know it's such a challenging question to answer. One of the things I guess I'd love for people to walk away with is like, on our side, it's a regular part of our day. And like, whatever you ask for, we're happy to be like, hey, okay, that's going to work for the team. It's in the band. And then also looking within experience. And I'll oftentimes advise candidates if they're not asking for enough for their experience, I will advise and be like, hey, I think you should ask for more. There is definitely a a myth that we're working against you but (laughs) lots of times we want to make sure you're paid well and we want to retain really great talent yeah that's amazing one thing i'm also really curious is that we spoke about these conflict induced conversations and they sometimes get really heated and the other party can become accusative or say some things that may be offensive to you or your company is there like any question or word that you say that changes the direction and nature of the negotiation interaction it could be a question you ask mm-hmm. yeah and i usually say something like i totally hear you i know this is really upsetting i know this has been a crappy week or this has been a really unfortunate call that we've had to have today i really want to like hear you out and just making sure you're making space for them i find is really helpful sometimes when people are the end of their line and they're like you know what like I, i'm really upset right now i don't want to talk about this anymore i'll usually ask them what's the most important thing to you that you walk away from this conversation and And then they'll let me know. And that is super helpful because then I can be like, okay, here's how we can get there. And if we can't get there, then what I'll typically do is be like, okay, here's how we can get close enough or here's the next best thing to that. And you responding to that and saying like, here's what I'm going to do for you is really helpful. And it's that rapport building again and walking through like what's on the table. 
I think that question is really important. What is the most important thing to you right now? And that makes the person pause and deliberate on the interaction or the conversation. And you're just being really selfless at that point, which is really good. That's what the other party wants. If they're really heated and upset, they're like, I want to be heard. I want to be understood. And I, and I want my needs to be met. Mm-hmm. It's really like we are collaborating with each other. But I think it's really important to, in a lot of times when the other person may feel powerless in the situation, or if they want to feel powerful and they do have a lot of power in the organization, I think it's like, letting them feel like they do have that power. Yeah, I agree. One thing that I also want to ask you is that you're a great negotiator, but at the same time, there might be someone that you're dealing with who's also another great negotiator. How do you negotiate with another master negotiator? What are some things that may give you the upper hand, but still creating value for the other side, especially in nature? I feel that way in, in a lot of situations, especially when I'm working internally on a negotiation, whether that's our employee relations issue or if it's with advocating for a new employee program it often feels like I'll be negotiating with upper level directors on something, which can be challenging at times because they are also experts. Usually what I'll do is really try and get that understanding of what they're wanting and then understanding like, okay, where are they willing to budge? And that's actually a different question that I would say is really helpful is asking, what are you willing to give on? What's an area that you think we can meet in the middle on? And asking for their feedback can be really helpful. And then letting them know, I think a lot of times falling back on like legalities and best practice can be super helpful. Just making it sure you're using kind of your expert power card of, hey, this is the knowledge that we have. This is how this is going to work if we do this. And this is a proven fact, then that can be really helpful as well. I know I've done that a lot with hiring managers. And then when introducing new programs, just sharing, hey, this is how this is ultimately going to impact X. And that's really useful. Yeah, so negotiating on the final result of business impacts, because that's something that both parties are trying to achieve at the end of the day. You're collaborating, you're not negotiating to get something away from each other, but collaborating to achieve a mutually beneficial outcome for the business because you guys both work for that business. Exactly. It's really just making sure like usually there's something that we're aligned on, whether it's our values or in how we want to work as an organization. And that's actually another great thing within HR is you can call on the values set of the organization and say, hey, how does this align with X value? That's another tip I would say I rely on. We need to understand how it's going to impact our value proposition as an organization. I want to go back to this notion of coming with facts. I know that Chris Wass mentions, for people who are listening, if you don't know who Chris Wass is, he's an ex-FBI negotiator. He's currently um, consulting businesses on their negotiation tractions. And his business is called Black Swan Group. And that comes from the fact that there's always black swans in interactions, which are both parties are withholding information and facts that you don't know. So you may come to a table and the other party, they have some facts that you don't even know. And let alone that, you don't know that they're going to put that in front of you and challenge you with that. But at the same time, you may also have some information that the other party has no idea on. Mm -hmm. So in that case, dealing with black swans, is very challenging. Is that something that you experienced? And if so, what do you do in that case? I'm thinking of just different situations that's happened in because that happens pretty regularly. (laughs) Um, The biggest one, I think, is oftentimes when we're working through salary negotiations, whether that's with an internal team member or with a new team member, we'll have talked about salary throughout a process and then we'll get to the end and it'll be like, oh, um, actually, I've changed my ask and I want 
$20,000 more, which is like super challenging one (laughs) to work through. And I think in those situations, it's just like, okay, how do we work through this and sharing like, here's what we said originally, that's what I usually try and do in that situation. But if I'm working in a higher stakes situation, when maybe I'm working on employee relations case, or I'm trying to put out a new program that's going to focus on improved communication for a leadership team, let's say in those situations, if someone comes to me and says, hey, here's this reason why this new fact that's come out of why we're actually trying to do this or why I'm not willing to move on implementing this program, then I'll usually be like, I have to take a step back and be like, okay, I'm going to go digest this information. And I'll usually listen to what they have to say and be like, hey, I want to go back to my team and really think about this, how it's going to impact what we're doing. And then typically from there, I do exactly what I said previously, where it's really pulling in on how does this impact the negotiation going forward and the program? How can I meet their needs knowing this new information and then adjust what I'm asking for? Or how can I pull in and say, well, this is going to actually solve that issue or solve for X by implementing this thing or just adjusting it slightly. It's a very challenging situation indeed. So going back, recalibrating would be the key. Yeah, exactly. It's like really figuring out how does that information impact it? Does it impact the situation? I've definitely had situations where people will bring out information and treat it as if it's card of new info, but it's actually not related. So oftentimes I'll have to go back and be like, okay, totally hear you. And then be like, totally get why you, you brought this up, but it's actually unrelated to this situation. That does happen pretty regularly, I would say. That was like a really interesting example. And you said that happens regularly. Within human resources and like people and culture teams, one of the things we'll see often is that it is really emotionally driven from the employee side, because oftentimes we're, we are dealing with people's well-beings on a day-to-day basis. I mean, we spend so much of our time at work. And so when we go into negotiations with leadership and what they want to have things done, it is driven by like personal perspective of each team member. And while we can fall back on facts, people do really have a lot of personal opinions about how things should be done within a company and how we want to be treated as individuals. And so it's really important for us to make sure that we're making decisions based on what's going to be best for the company as a whole, not reacting reactively, (laughs) because people will bring in emotionally driven responses to things that times. And so we want to make sure that we're providing something that is going to be helpful to them is fitting their needs, but is ultimately not going to be fully an emotional reaction or response to to one situation that maybe won't work for the rest of the team. Right. And building on that, I think if there are any black swans that the other party is putting on the table, I think one thing that would be really valuable is asking a question on that. When the other party says, oh, have you heard that our company is going through financial stress? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, financial stress? Mm-hmm. With a curious yeah. mind? And then maybe through elaborating, you can detect some of these information that will help you. And then you can take and Mm -hmm, do something with it on your end. And as you said, recalibrate, think about the impact at the end. That's exactly, exactly. Um, Yeah, mirroring is a a great active listening skill and just reframing things back to people. I think that's a a huge one, yeah. Well, this was an amazing conversation. I learned a lot and thank you, Shar, for joining in today to our HR consulting game episode, talking about how you play this game. Thank you so much. Yeah, happy to have been here. Thanks for facilitating. All right, all right. I hope you took as much valuable information as I did and more. My name is Adele, and you have listened to an episode from 100 Sub Game.
You like it here? Go ahead and subscribe to 100 Sum Game on your preferred platform. While you're at it, I'd love to hear about what you're thinking of this podcast, any episode requests, or further feedback. It'll help me make this podcast better for you. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Peace. Thank you.